is the gospel. God will do this. But until that time, there is death, sorrow, crying, and pain. So your purpose here is to embrace people that are experiencing death, sorrow, crying, and pain. We are here to pray for people that are experiencing death, sorrow, crying, pain. And it is happening right now. And until he comes back, you are going to see and experience death, sorrow, crying, and pain. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and give you honor and glory. Lord, I just ask that the Spirit of the Lord is here. Lord, you have called your Spirit the Comforter. I ask that your Spirit is not only here, but that you are with every broken soul out there, specifically the families who have experienced death. Come close, embrace them, send people their way to be a healing balm so that they might be lifted up and that they may remember that there will be a resurrection. You are coming back and you will do away with death, sorrow, crying, and pain. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So to follow our ritual, sing with me. <clears throat> we'll see if this works today. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. So, if you've ever seen this video, and if you read the, the teaser for this week, this experiment has come back to life. It's called the marshmallow experiment. Does anybody, has anybody ever read or seen videos on the marshmallow experiment? So a, f a few years ago, my wife showed me this experiment that, uh, with one of her friend's kids. And so what they did in, in the, early, or the late 60s and early 70s is they did this experiment at Stanford University, and this professor would put a marshmallow before a four- or five-year-old kid and they'd say, I'm going to leave the room, but when I come back, if the marshmallow is still here, you get two. And, wow, okay, I can do that. You know, the, probably the child's expecting they're just going to the bathroom, something, you know, two minutes tops, they'll come back. So the child would walk out, I mean, the, the, the tester would walk out, and the child would sit there, and after a while, I'm assuming would agonize over what to do with this thing, that this tasty treat that they wanted in their mouth so bad. Now, this more updated video, this is probably just a couple years old. If you can see it clearly, you see how he agonizes, how he stares, and then he's got his hand on his head, and he, and he tries to distract himself and look around. Well, eventually... He starts, look at his face over here in the middle. He starts poking at it. And you notice that some of the kids start nibbling, but they feel, you know, 
it's okay just to test the waters, nibble, it still will be here. See, he's smelling it over here. He's touching it, embracing it, and smelling it again. This last picture, this kid actually does wait it all out. So once the lady puts the second marshmallow, he shoves them both in it. I mean, they're both right there. He's got both of them like this. But you notice some of the kids couldn't handle it. I mean, it's probably, you know, because in the experiment, they waited about 15 minutes. I know. Well, we think, you know, you know, it's 15 minutes. But yeah, for a kid, a four-year-old kid having to wait, you know, how do you distract yourself for that, for that long? Well, they waited 15 minutes. I mean, you would see some of the video now, you see the, the kids, they basically nibble it till it's like this big, and they're like, I'm giving up, you know? But he waited it through. Now, the end of, the, of this experiment didn't come till way later because they revisited and restudied these kids when they grew up. And the correlation, and I don't know how scientific this is. I mean, you, you just, hopefully the correlation uh, is scientific enough. But the correlation was that they did, the kids that waited generally did better in SAT, like testing, standardized tests. They did better in educational attainment. And their body mass index was better. So many things were better about these kids that had learned self-control and could wait it out. That's crazy. They could wait to eat a marshmallow, and they do way better in life. Now, who knows how scientific that really is, but I do, probably, I do agree that waiting, there is virtue in waiting, and we'll get to that in a second. But waiting is hard, isn't it? Waiting is is super hard. I mean, think about it now. I mean, I don't care how old you are. We have come to the day and age, like, for example, the internet. Could you imagine having dial-up right now? Do you guys, who remembers dial-up? Do you remember dial-up? Beep, you know, it sounds like a fax machine, and then beep. Who of you had a Juno account? Do you remember Juno? Where actually you would write your email, and then, like, send it. it. Like, it would connect as you're sending the email. When I lived in Korea, um, in the first time was 1998, we actually got charged for the time we were on the internet. So what I would do is, when I would write emails, I would write all my emails. Like, I'd write, like, pages and pages on a Word document. And then I would paste them, and I'd start sending, sending, send, 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 so that I was only on the internet, because you would actually dial in, and then send it all real quick, hopefully five minutes. I'd get all my emails sent. We've got a parent right here explaining, what is this thing called dial? <laughs> so, but can you imagine having to wait? I need the directions, you know, Google, you know, whatever, Siri, tell me how to get to, you know, the closest Indian restaurant. Beep, beep, and then you see it, you know. I mean, even now, 3G, 4G even seems slow. We need a 5G. Don't we? We need a 5G. Something that, like, down, downloads it right into my brain. Boom. Waiting is hard. There was a teacher at, when I used to teach at Campion Academy in Colorado, 
we lived all on campus, okay? So I would say his house, and I am not going to call his name because I know how big this Adventist world is, even though he laughs about it too because I've said it to his face. His house was probably about a football field away from where he worked. So that's about the distance. He drove to work. And his reasoning was, it's not that I'm anti-exercise. By the way, he was the PE teacher. Uh, so you can figure out if you know Camping Academy. Um, so he said, I'm not anti-exercise. I just hate that time in between. I want to do what I'm doing here, and I want to be there right now. I want to be there right now. And so <laughs> the irony is he was late to class quite a bit too. But he would drive. I mean, I'd see him run out of his house and get in the, his truck and drive to, drive to work. We hate to wait. I mean, I even, you know, there's the anticipation of a text. I text somebody and just waiting for them to text me back. We don't like waiting. But Sarai had waited 10 years from the promise. The promise was, you will have a child. Actually, you won't just have a child. There's going to be the stars of the sky. You won't be able to count how many of your descendants there will be. By the way, when that promise was given, she was 65 years old. Now, granted, we said that there, is a, there was an age discrepancy compared to now, but she was still middle age back then. We would probably say about what we would say 45 nowadays, when the promise was made, because she died at 120-something. So 45 years old, we'll put it in our context, and then she waits another 10 years? Could you imagine that? Have you ever waited that long? Maybe you've waited for a child that long. Maybe you've waited for a promotion that long. And you're like, I just keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's, and, it, and it's eating you up. Well, it's eating her up. So in, in Genesis chapter 16, it says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, should I ask this question? Should Abram have listened to his wife? Men, what do you think? Should Abram have listened to his wife? No? So, the theology brought out, should you listen to your wife? <laughs> Do not answer that question. Bill, you will die today. But here, if you look at the notes, here she follow, or Abram follows the same pattern that Adam, his first parent, did. He listens... Against the promise, that's the problem. 
The promise is, if you eat from this fruit, from this tree, you will surely die. And Adam says, well, I'll still eat it. Because his wife brings him this fruit and says, I'm not dead. It surely looks good. Why don't you eat of it? And Abram here was promised, I will, if you wait it out, I will give you descendants. And they're going to conquer kingdoms. But the problem is that Sarai did not embrace the promise. Do you think waiting is good? Waiting is good, okay? I try to tell my kids that. Waiting is good. Just wait. Wait for dinner, but they cannot. It's not good. Actually, Hebraically, waiting, if it connected with God, actually strengthens you. How many of you have ever done a plank? Do you guys know what a plank is? Who knows what a plank is? All right, I'm just going to show you. I don't know if this we can get. So a plank is where basically you wait. So when I usually do planks, if I do, I haven't in a, in a long time. When I do planks, I try to distract myself. I do a lot better. I'm not going to stay down there too long because I might break buttons. Um, when I do planks, I want to distract myself with something. But it strengthens the core. From the most, you know, a lot of these core strengthening exercise are waiting, in a sense, exercises. How many of you do, have, have done wall sits? Wall sits? I hate them. You know, you start shaking. Have you ever done a wall sit? You know what I'm talking about? Where you sit against the wall, and, and you're just basically there, and you wait. It's not just, it's good for core. So a lot of people that work out don't work out core stuff. They work out other kind of muscle group stuff, but the waiting ones are the core. Actually, if you don't mind me indulging you, I know that I don't want to go too long, but I want to indulge you with why I believe waiting is so good. Please, if you love Hebrew, or I I hope that you start loving Hebrew. You know, uh, I just pray for you. (laughs) The word that is translated most often as wait, and the word that is, have you ever read the verse in Isaiah 40 that says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You know this one? It will mount up on eagle's wings, you know? Well, this word wait is kava. Say kava. Kava. Nice. Well, this word kava comes from a word, well, they all come from verbs. But I will tell you another noun, which is kava. Branches or twigs. The root word kava means to twist. So you would gather two, three, four of these twigs and you would twist them and make a rope. Another word of kava is rope. You would twist them together, and you would strengthen by twisting more twigs in. Hence, you know, is it in Ecclesiastes that says, you know, there's one strand that's easily broken, you know, two, stronger, but a cord of three, unbreakable. It is from the word kava, the idea of kava. So 
I am wondering if that text actually does not mean those who wait on the Lord, you know, I'm going to wait, you know, whatever. It means those who twist themselves so in tunely with the Lord will be unbreakable. That's what it means. This is what he's trying to do with Sarah. But because she's not twisting, she's not waiting well. And what was meant to strengthen her actually weakens her. And so she says, please go into my maid. And then in verse uh, 3, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into her, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she, that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I have given my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. War. You know this expression where it says, the Lord be between you and me? That meant, these are fighting words. We are in battle. And who is the battle with? Who's she calling out? Come on, Lord be between you and me. Was it Hagar? Huh? Who, who is it? Who is Sarai upset with here? Well, she is. You are right. She is upset with herself, but here she's calling out Abram. It was her idea, but she says, you're the reason. Now, by the way, that word despised, in Hebrew, does, it can be translated despised, but probably here more, what fits this context more is that she was treating her as she was cursed. You're, you were my boss, but now I'm the one who's blessed by God. You're not. So uh, I probably should be the covenant wife now. I have never seen the show. I have heard of it, and I've seen a clip or two. You ever heard of the show Sister Wives? You know, that's what's happening here. I saw one clip where, where they were in counseling. And you know what? If you were a sister wife, I can understand why you would be in counseling. And they are trying just to live together. If you don't know what Sister Wives is, um, Rod watches it regularly, so ask him. But, uh, but if you want to know about Sister Wives... It, it's basically polygamous, right? I mean, it's one guy, several women, he's married, and then the whole show is how they interact with each other. They have kids, whatever. It's how, did, how you get, this is reality TV. And so they have to interact with each other and try to get along and play nice. Well, that doesn't always happen. And you know, have you ever, you know, you probably don't know, and we, we don't know, but if you are 
in a war between women, men, if you are in a war between women, it's not good. Uh, so, so we don't know because I don't assume that any of you are polygamists. I'll pray for you if you are. But have you ever, men, had an encounter with your wife and mother-in-law? Or your mother, not, not your mother-in-law. Your wife and your mother, where they disagree. Oh, man. Luckily, my wife and my mom get along great. But when I was in Korea and I was teaching about stuff like this, oh, they let it out. The women were like, my mother-in-law, and in their broken English, but I knew what was, because there was fire. I mean, smoke was coming out of their noses, and they're like, my mother-in-law is horrible. And then if I ever met mother-in-laws, a lot of times they were more passive-aggressive, just like, oh, I, you know, my daughter-in-law, bless her heart, she is so dumb. You know, and, you know, I don't know what my, why my son just dropped like three standards and got so desperate to marry this girl. And if you've been in the middle of that, I will pray for your souls. I'm so thankful it doesn't happen. And that's sort of what's, where Abram is. Abram right here is saying, I don't want any part of this. Just please keep me out of it. Because she's got my kid, and I love you, and I don't want to die right now. In this battle, who's faultless? Who is? (laughs) Abram is not faultless. (laughs) Abram is a spineless chump. All right? You see him. He's back away from every battle out there. He did fight for Lot. Now, I give him that. But every other place, he's like, I don't want to. No, please. You know, I just want to. He's basically Pilate. None of the blood. I don't want it. He's a chump. In any battle, who is guiltless? I have a, I'm going to say a theory because over the last, over my ministry, last 14 years or so, 13, 14 years, I've, even in youth ministry, I deal with divorce, usually with the parents of, of my kids. And everybody and their mama has an excuse on why this happens. And I'm not saying, there are times, I truly believe it, there are times that this probably needs to happen. But most parties will say, it wasn't my fault. They do not own up. And you see, Sarai right here is not owning up. She says, okay, God doesn't want me to have a kid, so she blames God. This is one of your answers. She blames God. She blames Hagar. Hagar, you're mistreating me. And then she says, Abram, why'd you do this? Why'd you? But in a sense, she said, why do you listen to me? She doesn't say that, because then 
she takes blame upon herself, but she sort of puts it on everybody else and says, God, Hagar, and Abram, you've conspired against me. It's almost crazy talk right now. She's saying everybody is against me and conspiring. So the story continues. Verse 7, now the angel of the Lord found her, which is Hagar, because she had run away. By the way, Hagar means flight or escape in Arabic. So she might have been not Hagar until after the fact, until she left. So he finds her, the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness and by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, or Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. What are the two questions God asked Hagar? Where did you come from? And where are you going? Does she answer them both? No. She said, I came from Sarai. Does she know where she's going? No. Do you see her desperation? I mean, if you really picture her, she has nowhere to go. She just got pregnant. She's sitting on a rock. Said, I know where I came from. I have no clue where I'm going to go. I'm an Egyptian in Canaan. I know nobody. I'm a slave. I'm pregnant. What am I going to do? But God answers the second question. You will go back. I know where you're going. You don't know where you're going. I know where you're going. Have you been in that situation? You obviously know where you've come from, but you have no clue where you are going. You have no clue what God is going to do with your life, and you are in desperation. You might not be there, but somebody else you know is there. Maybe it's a child. Maybe you pray for your child. My child has no clue what he or she is going to do. But guess what? A lot of those kids know the same thing you know. And, and they are thinking the same thing. They're struggling. You telling me that a 35-year-old man that still lives with his parents, that plays video games and has no job, does not feel the enormity of that? They might cope with video games and eating and whatever. They might cope somehow and try to justify that their life is purposeful, but they are struggling with it maybe more than you as a parent. That's Hagar. I have nothing, and I have no clue where I'm going. But God says, I do. First, go back. 
you must go back. I raised this kid with a dad. He will have a family. Now, you know the the rest of the story because we're not going to talk about this later, but the rest of the story is eventually they are kicked out. When he grows up, after when Isaac is a little baby, they are kicked out because he starts getting, Ishmael starts getting where he's mocking. By the word, by the way, the word that, where it says in Genesis 21 that he mocks, the root word is tzitzchach. Hence the same root word of Isaac. And the same root word where it says that Sarah laughed at the promise. The, Moses is playing with words. And if you read it in Hebrew, it's like, wow, this makes sense. But we don't, in English, we're like, oh, okay, it's just another word. But he says, he mocked him. He laughed at the laughter. And he's laughing at the promise of God. To me, it sort of implies that Abram never had this conversation with Ishmael, saying, I'm just letting you know, God promised me that this was the covenant bearer. But because he's so spineless, he's like, maybe I can sweat this out. Maybe God will do something for me. I don't want to have this. So when they started bringing this up, Sarai's like, I actually have a kid. This is it. This is the promised one. He starts mocking him. Whatever, I'm the promised one. So eventually, Sarai says, we got to get rid of him. And they get rid of him. Let's finish this text. It says this, Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to, oh, return to your mistress. Okay, verse 10. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Have you read that promise somewhere else? The promise was to Abram through Sarai. But he says, you've got the same promise. The angel of the Lord said to her, Further, behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Have you ever been called a wild donkey of a man? Um, I think my wife has probably called me a wild donkey once or twice. She didn't use donkey, though. Um, His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who had spoken to her. You are a God who sees, for she said, I have even remained alive after seeing him. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Reoi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bared. Here is the irony here. He says, call him Ishmael which means God hears. Have you ever heard of the word Shema? The Shema is the most memorized Hebrew saying out there. Hear, O Israel. You know what I'm saying? The Lord, the Lord God is one. Hear, O Israel. Shema, Israel. He says, Shema, the Lord, Shema. But look at how she answers. Does she say, oh, you are right. You heard me. No. She says, I know you are a God who sees. 
I am going to use a different uh, sense of yours. You said you hear me, but I think you actually see me. Now, the word shema in Hebrew does not mean to hear. It means to listen and actually act upon. Because you know, ladies, have you ever asked your husband, hey, why, are, why, are these, why is this underwear on the floor? Could you please pick it up? And they answer yes. Yeah, I'll pick it up. And then in about an hour, you see it again, that pair of underwear. Has that ever happened? You don't have to raise your hands. But if it has happened, just nudge your spouse right now. But here's the funny thing is you will even see your spouse. I mean, you'll see your spouse walk right past it after you've talked to them. And they still, I mean, it's, it looks like the floor. You know, the underwear could be white and the floor totally dark, but it is part of the floor right now. In Hebrew, shama means you must act. And here he says, I will not only hear you, I will take care of you. Did you notice the promise that he made to Hagar? He actually answers the question of where she's going, not just go back, but long future. This is where your family is going. I will provide for you for generations to come. You were not part of the covenant originally, but now you are part of covenant with me, and I promise I will take care of you. The story of Hagar and this war between these women is grace. If you know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, if you know my story, I was not planned. My father had come here from the Philippines, and my father was definitely backslidden. Um, there's stuff that I definitely would not share here in this kosher area uh, that he has, for some odd reason, shared with me. But I know that my dad impregnated my mom and they were not married. But it didn't stop there. My, my dad actually, okay, so they were dating. They met in the hospital. Um, my mom's a nurse. My dad's a med tech. And they, start, they actually met bowling. Bowling. And they met at this bowling league kind of thing. And, and so he, they start dating. And then, you know, my mom gets pregnant. And she tells my dad. And my dad says, oh, what do I do? So he calls his older brother and says, what do I do? And his brother says, run! We have a place for you here. Just run. Because here's what complicated it. I have an older half-sister who does not know her bio dad because he ran. So my uncle, bless his soul at that time, said, you don't want a ready-made family. It's time to go. So my dad ran and stayed with my uncle. But the way he tells the story is that the Holy Spirit worked upon him, and one day, because he was afraid of his sister-in-law, because she is strong. My, my aunt is strong. She's a beast. 
And she's the one that was saying, you need to stay here. We'll start over. When they were at work, he grabbed all of his stuff, and he went back. And he knew that the Lord was saying, you need to raise this family. The story definitely doesn't end there. Before my dad's, what I say, real conversion or reconversion, my dad cheated on my mom. My, my dad had a crazy temper when we were younger. I didn't want to have kids because of the way I was raised, because I thought that, was, that had to be passed on. But by the grace of God, I am here. I have kids that I love to death. I don't think they're going to set the church on fire yet. And this is all by God's grace. I don't know if that was part of the real plan. That you would have a pastor that was conceived out of wedlock, that went through some of the stuff that I went through. But because God's grace is greater than any power out there, I am here. The story of Hagar is that. By the way, as a side note, God is working with the seed of Hagar still today. I know some of us are, are really sort of prejudiced against the seed of Hagar. But the Lord is looking for a people to reach to them also because they have a promise here too. And when it all comes down to it, there will be some of them in the kingdom. It is a story of grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and give you honor and glory. Lord, if we haven't grasped grace, may we now, because it is nothing about me, what I have done, where I come from, you are the one who steers where I will go, and it is beyond what I could even imagine. May the power of the Lord continually show us grace. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.